All right, good morning, church. Y'all know I like my walk-up music thumping. Amen. <laughs> Happy New Year. This is the last time I get to say that. I think I think we're still in bounds, January 8th. Uh, so glad that you're here. Let me first of all say thank you to parents uh, for your flexibility and patience in our, all our renovation and you know, moving your kids around here. Uh, the Lord is, has declared he's making all things new and he's making our whole kids area new. And so we're hoping uh, 1st of February to be able to unveil that, uh, Lord willing. We'll, we'll see how that goes. It's going well so far. Excited for the progress there. Uh, we are in 2023, what we're calling the year of mission. Uh, the year of mission, our goal is to uh, reach people with the gospel and uh, to grow people in their faith. And so we do have a new Bible reading plan. If you're interested, I had different folks who inquired about that. Uh, I have never uh, created my own reading plan or, you know, there's other good reading plans out there, but I've designed this one uh, for us to go along with our six sermon series this year. Uh, and so it's similar to F260 and the idea that it gives you an overview of the whole story of God. Uh, it's different because F260 was 260 foundational passages throughout the Bible, whereas uh, with the Year of Mission Bible Reading Plan, uh, we actually read through completely 24 books of the Bible, um, giving us an overview of, of the story of God. So encourage you, uh, if you're interested, we have uh, copies over at Next Steps. Afterwards, you can grab that. You can also get it online at friendshipwired.com. Just look for that Year of Mission uh, tab there and you'll be able to access that. Uh, so again, year of mission, we want to reach people with the gospel. We want to make disciples. It's what Jesus left us here for. And so as we kick off this year, we're going to start out with a series called Leadership in the Church. So you might ask the question, okay, if, we're, if our goal is to reach people with the gospel and to make disciples, why the subject of of leadership. Why are we talking about leadership in the church as we start out this new year? Uh, let me say it this way. If, if we as the church are going to accomplish our mission, which is to make disciples, then we must have biblical, healthy leaders functioning in their God-given roles. All right, we have to, if we're going to do what God called us to do, we need healthy leadership according to what God has said in the Bible. You, you may have heard it said this way in leadership circles, that everything rises and falls with leadership. Have you ever heard that before? Um, I absolutely agree with that. I agree that it's true in the home, uh, that everything rises and falls with leadership. Uh, in fact, I was having a, a good conversation uh, the other day with my teenage son about that. When you look at homes and he's dealing with teenagers and I say it always rises and falls with leadership. So what kind of leadership is in the home and in the parents? Uh, leadership, uh, everything rises and falls on leadership in the workplace. Some of you go, mm-hmm, uh, I've had a bad boss or I have a great boss. Um, so everything rises and falls on leadership. It's true uh, in school. It's true on, on sports teams. It's true in organizations. It's true in the government. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's why you can have a sports team who one year uh, is, has a really poor record and does really poorly. And then they change coaches. They change management. They change leadership. And next year, even though it's mainly the same people, they could be winners. It's because everything rises and falls on leadership. And I believe it's true in the church. I believe it's especially true in the church, that the church is God's organization. The church is God's organism. It's God's family, his vehicle to reach the world with the gospel. The church is God's plan A to reach the world. Uh, and newsflash, by the way, there is no plan B. 
it's the church or nothing. If we don't get the good news out to the world, uh, nobody else is going to do it. It's, the church is God's plan A. And so just as God established the, the universe and, and the world and everything that's in it, and he, he has a plan for it, and he governs everything by his good, strong hand, uh, so has God established the church. And he has a plan for the church, and he has a structure for it. He has implemented or instructed us to implement leadership within the church to make sure that she functions the way that she ought to. And I say she when I speak to the church because we are the bride of Christ. And so any of y'all like leadership books? Anybody like to read about leadership or learn about leadership? Nobody. Okay. Okay. One or two people. All right. Well, so this should be easy. Um, so I love... I love Wow, okay. Um, I expected at least two hands. Um, but thank you, Lori. I appreciate the one. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so the, the Bible isn't a leadership book, uh, but it has plenty to say about leadership. In particular, when we get to the New Testament, as God establishes the church, he talks about what leadership ought to look like within the church. And so naturally a question here might arise, which would be, okay, so what about us? What about at Friendship Church? Uh, do we have a biblical leadership structure in place at Friendship? That's a great question. Uh, let me answer it by explaining, let me ex explain it first this way. We have to make sure that we always look to the scripture for our answers. Uh, we've got to make sure that we always look to the Bible, God's word, God's revelation to us, for our answers, for our guidance, for our direction. And so we let the Bible speak. Sometimes the Bible speaks very much in black and white. And then other times the Bible speaks more in you know, shades of, of gray. But the Bible is our guide. The Bible is, is truth. And where it speaks clearly, we obey. But where it doesn't speak so clearly, and there are a number of things where the Bible doesn't speak clearly to in black and white, where it doesn't speak clearly, uh, we weigh what it says. We, we compare scripture with scripture. This is why it's important to know the Bible because we, when we make decisions that aren't laid out for us in the scriptures, we, we have to pray and we have to seek wisdom from the whole counsel of God and from, from others. And we try to make decisions based on, you know, wisdom that we get from God's word and make decisions that reflect the heart of God that we see revealed in scripture. Uh, let, me, let me just give you a little side note. Um, there was, in our country, so many questions over the Christmas season amongst church people. Like, why would some churches choose to not have uh, church services on Christmas Day when it falls on, you know, on a Sunday? Why would you not have church on Christmas Day? And, and so a couple weeks ago, I attempted to explain that in what we call the weekly word. If you haven't signed up for that, it's just a weekly uh, email newsletter that comes out every Monday. Go to friendshipwire.com. You, you find that weekly word tab there. But two weeks ago, uh, I attempted to explain why we as a church would not have services on Christmas Day. And so I either did a really good job or a really poor job of explaining me because I like heard crickets, <laughs> like no feedback whatsoever. So either people are mad at me or are like, yeah, makes sense, whatever, or I don't care. Um, but he here's, here is, here's the reason really in a nutshell. Of, of, it's the same thing with when it comes to leadership in the church. Uh, we have to make sure we always look to the scriptures for 
our answers. Uh, there's some, some, some things that we, we don't want to look to or we don't want to base our answers off of. We don't want to look to tradition to make our decisions and for answers. Um, but let's face it, we're, we're used to what we know, right? We, some things we do because we've always done them. This is especially troublesome in the church where we do things because we've always done it this way. For you know, weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years, we've always done it this way. Like the seven, I didn't share this in the first service, the seven last words of a dying church are, we've, we've never done it that way before. And, and, and that's, that's a sign that, hey, we're, we, we just go based off of tradition. And so we have to be careful that we don't base things off of tradition. Uh, so for example, when I graduated from Bible college, my wife and I went to a, a Baptist church uh, and, and you know, uh, the, the churches, the Baptist churches we had been in before always had a choir, all right? Anybody ever been in a Baptist church with a choir? And we went to a Baptist church without a choir and we were like, oh, gasp, is this allowed? Does the Bible say that we can have church without having a choir? This, this has to be against, some, you know, the book, chapter, verse. I don't, there's, it's not in there. All right, it's, it's okay. It's not bad to have a choir, but it's not required of us. But sometimes what happens in the church is we make decisions based off of tradition. And then we, so, so here's, here's the deal. It's not bad to follow tradition. We don't want to throw out every tradition, but... If the scripture doesn't dictate something, we have, to hold, we have to hold it with an open hand. And be able to say, okay, if God doesn't say we have to do this, then we don't have to do this. And so we don't want to look to tradition for answers. We want to look to the scriptures. We also don't want to rely on pragmatism. You all know what pragmatism means? It means what is practical, what works. So the, 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 the question is, does it work? If it works, it must be good. If it works, it must be right. But we don't want to make decisions based on pragmatism, what is pragmatic, because y'all, we could do any number of things to try to get people in this building for church. And we could say, well, if it works, it's good. So if next week we decide, hey, we're going to have a, a dog show on Sunday morning, um, y'all think that would work? You think people would come? I think people would come. That may be a great idea. I don't know. We can pray about that. But I promise you, if we decide, hey, let's have a dog show, Friendship Baptist Church's first annual dog show on, you know, Sunday, January 15th. We'd pack this place out, standing room only. Would that, would that glorify God? And some of you are like, yes, <laughs> it would. Um, would that be the best thing to do? Mm. We don't want to base things off of what's pragmatic just because it works. I mean, we could have a disco party and people would come, but this, is that what would honor and glorify God? So we don't want to, we want to look to the scriptures. We don't want to base things off tradition. We don't want to rely on pragmatism. We don't want to depend on our feelings. If it feels good or if it feels right, that's something as a church. But personally, we don't want to make decisions based off feelings because y'all know your feelings can lead you astray. Sometimes what feels right is absolutely wrong. What feels good to you and what feel, feels good to me maybe sin according to the scriptures. So we don't do what feels good or right. We don't want to base things off of feelings. And a fourth thing is we don't want to base uh, our actions off what others do. So just because other good people or other good churches may, may do things a certain way, we, we, don't want to, we don't want to subscribe to that. 
um, we don't want to base our actions off of what others do. No, we must always be careful uh, to let the word of God dictate what we do. And some things are very black and white. Again, some things are in different shades of gray. And so we need to use wisdom there. But I want to look at Second uh, Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, when it comes to the authority of Scripture in our lives. It says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It literally breathed out, words breathed out by the Lord and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we need the Scriptures to guide us and to help us to become mature and complete in Christ. So, in the case of, of church leadership, the Bible speaks pretty clearly when it comes to roles and responsibilities in the church, church leadership. But there is some flexibility about how this fleshes out in each local church, each local church body. The Bible's instruction is, is clear, but it's not rigid. It talks about roles and responsibilities, and then we use wisdom um, to implement that in the church. So let me come back to that initial question. Are we as a church, this Friendship Baptist Church, have a biblical leadership structure? Here's my answer to that. I would say like many good churches, we have elements of what the Bible teaches. We have some good things in place. But I would say this, we're not fully in line with the New Testament teaching. There's some things that we're kind of missing that we've missed the mark uh, on. And, and so I want to just read a pretty lengthy quote. I'm going to divide it up into three parts uh, this morning. And it's, it's from a book called Elders in the Life of the Church uh, by a guy named Phil Newton. And uh, I, I just want to read about three typical forms of church polity, which just means types of church Government. All right. So, if you've been in in churches and over the course of your life, you've probably seen some variation of these three examples. These are kind of extremes to a degree, but I think it'll help us get our bearings for where we're going to go in the series. So. Here's the quote. On one end of the church polity spectrum lies extreme congregationalism. In this kind of church, the congregation votes on everything, resulting in endless discussions, haggling and posturing about and, and getting little done. Indeed, for such reasons of efficiency, few churches operate in an absolute congregational mode. But even worse than the pragmatic difficulties are the spiritual dangers. A church that votes on everything is a church that is never taught how to trust authority, which means you will almost surely find a spirit of dissension and suspicion whenever decisions need to be made. Human relationships require and benefit from leadership. Okay, going on. In a congregational setting, power often resides in a board of deacons. And if you've been in any number of, of Baptist churches, this is, is generally the case. Uh, they, the deacons, are usually nominated at large, are approved by the congregation, and can serve either limited or unlimited terms. In many churches, deacons are nominated based on popularity or visibility within the church rather than on the basis of the qualifications listed or stated in 1 Timothy 3. Moreover, the deacons, whose biblical role should be one of service to the congregation, are put into the role of ruling the church. 
In such circumstances, power struggles often emerge between the pastor and the deacons. Rather than working with the pastor, they resort to political manipulation to get their way. Certainly not all deacons or pastors engage in such manipulative behavior, but in over three decades in ministry, uh, he says, I've seen far too many who do. So chances are, if you've been in a Baptist church, you've seen a little bit of this potentially. Uh, So congregationalism is when the church kind of governs the church and votes on things. Um, We as a church um, are a congregational form of government, which is good. It's not a bad thing, but it can be an unhealthy thing if deacons are put in the place of of having to make decisions uh, and and to be the ruling body of the church. And so, uh, you know, extreme congregationalism is what he's talking about, where every, you vote on everything. So um, case in point, like this kid's renovation, if we practiced extreme congregationalism, we would put up for a vote what color the carpet was going to be. And you know what that makes me do? That makes me gag, right? We are not going to do that. I hope you approve of the choice, but extreme congregationalism is, hey, we're gonna vote on every little thing that we do. We don't trust our leaders to make decisions. We wanna have input on everything. We wanna, and it just, it stalls everything. And it's not the way the, the, the church is called uh, to function. So that's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the polity spectrum, are churches in which the senior pastor has his thumb on everything. He is what uh, theologian W.A. Criswell termed a benevolent dictator. Such a pastor believes that his leadership is more efficient than a plural eldership, which must work toward consensus. He simply makes a declaration and everyone is obliged to follow. Of course, he might not be benevolent after all, but a ruthless tyrant, a controlling pastor like Diotrephes in 3 John 9 and 10, uh, who coveted preeminence in the church and excluded anyone who threatened his position. Such a man's unteachable spirit makes him unapproachable and insensitive to pastoral needs. The church seems to exist to further his agenda and feed his ego. So you've got extreme congregationalism, you have this other extreme, which is a benevolent dictator. Uh, There was actually in 2021 an incredible podcast uh, called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill that was kind of about this controlling, abusive spiritual environment that was under the, the rulership of a benevolent dictator, all right, or maybe not so benevolent. Uh, and then there's a third category here. Uh, another much less tyrannical type of polity can be found in some pastor and staff-led churches. In these churches, the pastor and staff determine the course of ministry, tap the lay leadership to execute their plans, and assemble the energies of the church into a well-oiled machine. Some even identify the staff as their plurality of elders. Certainly, many of these churches accomplish much as long as there are no changes in the machinery. However, the machinery may grind to a halt if change does occur, such as a staff member leaving. Further, when conflicts arise between pastor and staff, they are often concealed in order to preserve the appearance of harmony. As a result, Highly organized activity may mask unholy lives. Megachurches face the greatest danger at this point because of the enormous pressure on them to exceed past performance as measured by the previous year's statistics. Now, there are variations of these three models, but common to each is the competition for power and authority that occurs within the leadership. Yet, there is a better way, elder leadership. 
Making the transition to elder leadership within a congregational framework requires deliberate work, faithful prayer, and commitment to the teaching of Scripture. All right, so thanks for bearing with me on that, but I think it's important as we, as we jump into the series uh, and as we examine these things in light of where we're at as a church. There's extreme congregationalism, there's a benevolent dictator, and then there's a pastor and staff-led uh, church polity. So I thought about asking, uh, you know, show of hands, where do you think we lie? But I'm afraid of what y'all would say. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I've never been called a benevolent dictator. Uh, I've been called much worse, <laughs> um, much better as well. Um, you can call me benevolent. I uh, hope you wouldn't call me a dictator. Uh, but as a church, uh, I would, the way I would define where we're at is somewhere like there's elements of congregationalism, not extreme. Uh, if, we, if we practice extreme congregationalism, uh, where deacons kind of rule and make all the decisions and we vote on everything, uh, I would have been, I, I would never stepped in the door <laughs> to begin with, all right? Um, the very first thing I look for in a church, whether I'm, I'm, I'm serving there or, uh, you know, on staff or just worshiping at a church is what kind of leadership does the church have? Because if the church has unhealthy leadership, the church itself will be unhealthy. Uh, so I would say we're in between, like we've, we've got we're congregationalism, not unhealthy or extreme, um, but then that pastor staff-led staff uh, is also kind of how we, we tend to function. And that is according to how things have been established uh, in this church, at, in our constitution. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. But I don't know if you caught what Phil Newton said in that quote, that he said, there's a better way. Did y'all catch that? He said, there's a better way. Elder leadership elder leadership. So we're going to examine that in particular next week. Um, but uh, the reason that we're going through this is because it is so important. And, and, and you may say, well, I'm not a, a leader in the church, so does it really matter? Absolutely. Leadership affects everything that happens in this church and through this church. And so I would submit that leadership in the church may be the most important thing about the church, is how does leadership function? And, and you, would, you would agree in a home, if a home is dysfunctional, typically it goes back to the leadership, right? So we want to make sure that we do this in a way that is, is biblical. And so my goal since day one, actually before day one, before I ever stepped into the role of, of, of pastor here at Friendship, back in March, uh, February, March of 2019, uh, my family and I are living in Springfield, Missouri. We're looking at Friendship Baptist Church as a place where we could potentially move and serve. Um, the discussion was from the start, okay, what's, what's the leadership look like? What's the structure of church look like here? Uh, because there's some things that would be like, nope, that's, that's a no-go, that's a no go, all right? We're not going there. Um, but my goal from the start, and it started with conversations with our search team. Uh, I, had, I talked, interestingly enough, this morning with one of the ladies who was on the search team that brought the Tates here. Um, just, just this morning, it was, it was kind of cool to have that conversation. Um, but one of the conversations that took place with the deacons, the search team, was, uh, hey, where are we at? Um, and, and it was explained to me where we're at with the way our church functions. Um, there was conversations about a different, more biblical model of leadership, and they were very open and willing to go in that direction. So these are conversations that, that we've been having for three and a half years now. Um, in fact, the conversation, so my goal was move towards biblical model of leadership in our church, very biblical model of leadership. The conversation with deacons has been over the last two years, coming out of COVID in particular, 
hey, let's move towards a biblical model of leadership in our church. And our deacons have been fully on board with that. Um, but, but I also just want to make this note, having made that statement, I want you to notice that that statement in itself means that we have not been functioning biblically because of a major decision-making conversation was held with deacons. And you might go, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Nothing in itself. Here, here's what's wrong with it. God said this is, not the, this is not the way that decisions are made in the church. Deacons serve the church. Elders make decisions and lead and feed the church. And we'll talk more about that next week. And I don't want to throw shade on our deacons because I, I love our deacons. We have good, good men who serve, uh, but they've been put in a role uh, in this church to, to make decisions. And so uh, we, want to, we want to move from what is kind of biblical to what is fully biblical. And so our goal in this series is, hey, let's go to the scriptures. Let's let them speak for themselves. Let's discover what the Bible says about New Testament church leadership. And if there's ways that we are out of line with what the Bible prescribes, let's get in line. Let's obey the scriptures. That is our ultimate goal is let's obey the word of God. Amen? Amen. So, Four-part series. Here's what we're going to tackle over the next few weeks. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the chief shepherd, head over all. Next week, we'll talk about the elders who feed and lead. Th third week of this, we'll talk about the deacons who serve. The fourth week will be the flock who follows. And, and let me say this. I didn't, I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to take a second to say this. Um, whatever your background, whatever your experience has been, and, and, and by the way, this, that book that I read from was written from a, a Baptist you know, pastor perspective. Uh, so if you are familiar with Baptist churches, you would understand. Um, I can't speak for Methodist churches, Presbyterian, Lutheran, like different types of church government. But here's what I want to ask you uh, as we start this series is whatever you're used to, whatever you've seen, whatever you think is, is right, would you hold that with an open hand and say, God, if, if what I've seen and experienced and learned through my church experience, if that's not in line with your word, would you change my heart? Would you change my mind so that I would get in line with what your word says? The goal is that we would obey scripture, not tradition, not pragmatism, not our feelings, not what others do or don't do. So our starting point this morning uh, is going to be Philippians 1. Uh, let me just say a quick prayer, and then we're just going to read some scriptures this morning. God, thank you so much for your word that guides us, that leads us, that we can have confidence in your truth that is um, our absolute truth, our, our guide. And so, uh, Lord, I just thank you that you have left us instruction. You have revealed yourself to us through uh, the scriptures. And God, we, have, we can have confidence that we can follow your word. And so, Lord, wherever there is wherever there's areas in our life or in our church where uh, we don't fully line up, um, God, I pray that you'd reveal those to us and help us to be willing to, uh, to change, if that's what you're calling us to, uh, to conform us more into the image of Christ. And so, Lord, I, I just thank you for the work that you've been doing uh, in our church and the way that you've been rooting us in the gospel. And, and I just pray this year um, that as we continue to dig into uh, the truth of the gospel, that you would reveal things to us that, that need to change and that need to um, come into obedience uh, to you and your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together this morning and throughout this series. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So Philippians 1, Philippians 1, um, let me just read this passage, Philippians 1, 1 through 5. Paul writing this letter, um, Paul and Timothy writing to the church at Philippi, he says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Okay, so he's addressing these people. Verse number two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So we're not even going to dive into the book of Philippians at all. Um, it's an incredible book, but I, what I want you to see uh, from this very start is, is Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church, he, he's addressing specific individuals in the church, really that comprise the church. So it's, it's a very nondescript uh, kind of, of an introduction and opening uh, from, from Paul, but it's important to see. So Paul and Timothy, it says, who are servants of Christ Jesus. So what we're going to talk about this morning is Christ Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. Uh, so, so he goes on and says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So as he's writing this letter to the church and he addresses all the saints, you, you know who he's talking to? I mean, he wasn't saying like, it's like if I wrote a letter to this church and I said, okay, who are the saintly people here? Okay, I like the way you dress and you're pretty holy in the way that you act and you give a lot of money. And, you know, he, he wasn't like picking and choosing saints or those who appear to be saintly within the church. He's referring to all the brothers and sisters, all the believers in Christ. He calls us all, believe it or not, if you're in Christ, he calls you a saint. Some of you are like, eh, it doesn't fit, but it's true. It is true. So he says, to all the saints, who he's speaking to is the whole church, the flock of God. So servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So he's writing to the whole church, but he also includes overseers and deacons. All right, so, so let me take a second. We, you all have heard me probably say there's two offices in the church, elders or pastors, and deacons, correct? Have you ever heard me say that? Um, this is who he's writing to, all the saints as well as overseers and deacons. So let me take just a moment to break out. I, I think the only three, Greek, only three Greek words I'm going to break out over this whole series, all right? So three titles in the New Testament. One is overseers, which is this Greek word, episkopos, all right? You ever heard of like episcopalian? That's kind of this, this term, the Greek word episkopos. Overseers also translated as, as bishops. Uh, but then when you look throughout the New Testament, it also refers to elders. There's a Greek word there, uh, presbyteros, all right? You see a familiar word there? Presbytery, Presbyterian, you know, that type of word. So elders. And then there's a third term, pastor or shepherd. And the Greek word is poimen, which literally means shepherd, just like a literal shepherd. And so these are three different words that define one office, the office of pastor or the office of, of elder or overseer. These are three different words and terms, and we'll see more about this next week. But I just want to introduce you to this because what you see Paul doing in this letter is he says, hey, I'm writing to the church, which is made up of all the saints, and it's made up of overseers or pastors or elders, and it's made up of deacons. This comprises the church, and that's why over these next four weeks, we're going to look at these four groups of people. So 
Today, what I have for you, and don't stress out because I've taken a lot of time to introduce this, all right? I'm really setting up this whole series. I want to look at six scriptures with you, six scriptures, and then we're going to make four application points uh, based off of those scriptures, and then we're going to worship uh, for a few more minutes together. So here's passage number one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Peter here speaking of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for our sins. He says, verse 24, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross is what he's speaking of, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. What he's just declared is the gospel, the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the what? Shepherd and what? Overseer of your souls. So in other words, he says he is the poimen, the shepherd of your very soul. He is the episkopos, the the overseer of your soul. This is who he is is. He superintends or has charge over, has oversight of your soul. You were straying like, you know, dumb sheep, right? But now you've been, because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so Jesus is this shepherd. He is the overseer of your soul. If you go forward a couple chapters, First Peter chapter 5, This is an incredible passage we'll look at more next week. Verses one through four, here's what Peter says. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the uh, sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So who is is Peter addressing right here? Elders, right? I'm writing to you elders. I exhort the elders as a fellow elder myself. I'm a fellow pastor. And he gives them some instruction. Verse number two, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Poimain, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. Not being a benevolent dictator, right? Not domineering, but being examples to the flock. Verse four, and when the what? Chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So I don't want you to miss that part. As, as Peter is talking, he says, hey, fellow elders, fellow pastors, fellow shepherds, as, as, as one myself, shepherd the flock of God. Do it with love and, and, and care as you oversee the flock. But verse four, there's a chief shepherd who's coming. There's a chief shepherd to whom you will give account. So, so make sure you hear that. The chief shepherd, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter one, verses 21 through 23. The context here, speaking of how God rose Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in this place of power and authority. Verse 21, Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, God, put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
So it says that Jesus is what? Head over all things. Y'all see that? He is head over everything. He is the one with ultimate power and authority. He is the one um, whose name is above every other name. He is head over all things. Colossians 1, kind of a parallel type of a passage. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. Again, speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the what? Head of the body, the church. He is the head. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the head of the body. Hebrews 13, passage number five. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. As, as the writer of Hebrews is closing out the, the, the letter, the book of, of Hebrews, he says in, in verse 20, kind of a benediction here. He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, and here's a title he gives him, the what? The great shepherd of the sheep. Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. May, may he, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So he says, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And through his blood, he's made a way for us to get to him. And then Passage number six, last one, Revelation 7, verse 17. So the scene here is, is the throne room of God in heaven, and there's this multitude around the throne worshiping the Father who's upon the throne and the Lamb, Jesus, who is at his, his right hand. Right hand would be this side, sorry. I'm having to figure out as I'm going. Here, here's, here's the scene, worship around the throne. Revelation 7, 17. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their what? Their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Even at the, in the last scene around the throne room of God, Jesus, who is at God's right hand, he is their shepherd. He is the one who leads and guides and will wipe away every tear. So, application. Like, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for friendship church? There's four things that, that I just want to share with you this morning. Number one is this. It all starts with God. It all starts with God. It always starts with God. This is why our first question is always, who is God? What is he like? What is his character and nature all about? It all starts with him. He is our what? He's our shepherd. He is our leader. We take our cues from him. We obey him. We follow him. This is why one of the most well-known pieces of scripture amongst Christians and non-Christians is Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my what? Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. On and on we go. The Lord is my shepherd. He is my leader. I'm just a dumb wandering sheep. I need a leader. I need a shepherd. He is my shepherd. So it all starts 
with God. It all starts with the Lord. And that's, that's easy and basic to say, but we've got to start there when we talk about leadership in the church. It all starts with the Lord. Number two is this. This is a little bit more theological, but it's, it's a vital point. Christ is the Lord, so we worship him. Christ is the Lord. In Psalm 23, it talks about capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, Jehovah God. He is my shepherd. But when we move to the New Testament, we have Jesus declaring, and, and we believe this theology, that Jesus is God. He is one with the Father. God the, Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And what we see in the New Testament is Jesus over and over saying, I am the shepherd. I am your shepherd. I am a good shepherd. And if he is the Lord, we will worship him. And so John 10, he makes this declaration very clearly. He says in verse 14, I am the what? Good shepherd. We just sang that this morning, y'all. He's the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold but I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock one what one shepherd it's him he is the good shepherd he is is our leader he is the one we worship let me say this as well. Christ is the Lord, so we worship him. And this is, this is kind of a small point, but uh, it's kind of a big point to me. Um, Christ is the Lord. It, it's easy to say we worship God. A lot of people say they worship God, but, but that could mean any number of gods. And so we want to make sure that as followers of Jesus, we're clear that the God that we worship is Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the one true God. It's like if you see an interview with an athlete who's just won a ball game, and they're like, man, I just want to thank God for et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's, I hear that and I go, oh, that's, that's really cool. But what God is he talking about? He could be talking about any number of gods. But if somebody gets up to the microphone and says, man, I want to praise Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, we know exactly who he's speaking of, Right? He's speaking of the one true God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so um, I'm going to encourage you to be bold. When you talk about God, don't just talk about God generically. Jesus Christ, he is the Lord. And so we worship him, Christ the Lord. Here's number three. He, Christ, is head over all, so we trust him. He is head over all, so we trust him. At the risk of of, of of um, sounding sacrilegious, he is the big boss man over all of creation, all of, over, over the church, over everything. Colossians 1 that we read earlier says that he is to be preeminent. In other words, everything revolves around him. He is head over all. He is the one to whom every knee will bow. He is the one to whom every last one of us will stand and give an account one day. He is head over all. And he is also the one that in Matthew 16, verse 18 says, I will build my what? My church. I will build my church. And so if he is head over all, if he has given us instruction, Listen, we can trust him. If he said, I, I will build my church, we don't have to feel like, okay, I'm going to add to it. I'm going to do different things. That whole pragmatism conversation that we had, 
It's usually a result of going, okay, preaching the gospel is not enough. I've got to do some extra things to bring people to God. And so we add all kinds of stuff in order to draw people, in order to attract people, which means we don't trust that he's actually head over all, that he's actually powerful enough that he is going to build his church. That if we would just trust him and obey what he's told us to do, he will do the building. So if he is head over all, we trust him. We follow him. We obey him. Here, here's, the fourth, here's the fourth thing. He is he's chief. He is the big dog, right? So we follow him. He is, again, let me use... Let me use a leadership term. I know y'all aren't familiar with that since you don't read leadership books. <laughs> he is at the top of the org chart. He, he is the one at the top. He is, so listen, if we, if we were to on our website list out, I need to go edit, revise our website maybe. Uh, if we listed out our, our, our staff as a church, our leadership as a church, we would list senior pastor. Whose name would we put there? Not me. I'm not a senior. I'm kidding. I don't, I don't love the, the term senior pastor. I refuse to go by senior pastor. I'm the lead pastor. Um, but, but listen, the, the senior pastor is Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd. I am what is called a under shepherd. I am a shepherd that works for another shepherd. I'm a shepherd who will give an, an account to another shepherd who, by the way, y'all, you are the flock, you're not my flock. You are God's flock. And he's called me to lead and, and to serve and to shepherd, to be an under-shepherd of this church. He's the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor of, of his flock. I, 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 I go by the name lead pastor because God has entrusted me to help lead this particular flock, but make no mistake about it. I am not the boss. I'm not the boss. I am a leader under authority. He is the one that I am accountable to. I'm accountable to everyone, but he is the one ultimately that I'm accountable to. He is the one who I will ultimately stand before and give an account to for how I have shepherded this flock. Hebrews 13, 17, it says this, and this is really directed to the church, to the flock. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage of, to you. And we'll touch on that verse later on in the series, but, but, but the thing that always captures me here is he says, hey, all you shepherds, all you pastors and elders, listen, you are going to have to give an account one day to the chief shepherd for how you have shepherded his flock. So he is the chief, so we follow him. So it all starts with God. Christ is the Lord. We worship him. He's head over all, so we trust him. He is the chief shepherd, so we follow him. And so really the whole idea this morning is before we go anywhere else, before we talk about leadership in the church. We start at the very top, as simple as, and as basic as it sounds. We, we have to recognize where ultimate leadership comes from. It comes from our chief shepherd. Amen? And Jesus is our chief shepherd, and we look to him as our leader. 
we acknowledge his authority, his power, his wisdom, his grace, his loving leadership over his flock. Psalm 100 verse 3 says it this way, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so I want to ask you all to stand with me. Worship team, why don't you start making your way up here? We're going to we're going to declare that this morning through a new song. Um, maybe you've heard this before, but maybe it's, it's brand new to you. It's, uh, it's a song called, uh, God, We Look to You, or God, I Look to You. And the whole idea in this song is we're declaring, God, we are looking to you. You are a leader. You are a shepherd. You are our, our rock. You are the one who leads us through the highlands and through the heartache. You are our chief shepherd. You are the Lord over this church. And so let me pray and then we'll sing together. God, thank you that we can look to you as our shepherd. Lord, you know that, um, that I, other pastors and elders and deacons and leaders, man, none of us are infallible. We are in fact very fallible and very broken. And so God, I'm just saying thank you that you are our chief shepherd, that we can look to you. You are a good shepherd who guides us. And Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We want to be obedient to your word and everything, anything and everything that it declares to us. Personally, Lord, corporately as a church, we want to be obedient to you. And so God, I pray that you would continue to root us deeper in the truth of the gospel, deeper in the truth of your word and in ways in which my life and the life of our church and every single one of us is out of line with, with your truth. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to that. Help us to have humility um, and submission to, to allow you to steer us back into line with who you are. Lord, we want to obey you. We want to follow you. You are our shepherd. And this morning and always, we look to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.